Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And George will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up guys? Welcome to the Walk-Ons Podcast This is Ryan Reeves It's Thursday, September 23rd, 2021 And we've been away for a couple weeks now So we are fresh I went to Cancun last weekend. I made it back in one piece, maybe a little sunburn. Andrew, I don't know if you got out of town, but it, it, it feels good to be back, my man. We got a great show on tap. We got week four college football storylines, recap of week two in the NFL, and a look ahead in week three. And we've got Bismack Biombo as our guest. That was a great conversation. Can't wait for that. But Andrew Schuster, my man, did you go anywhere over these last two weeks? Because it's been a special hiatus for us. Yeah, I was actually in San Jose working on a TV show. We were filming a, a show for Discovery Channel. It was a great time. Got some great food. Uh, Palo Alto is beautiful. It's right next to San Jose. Yeah, I got out of town too. You know, not quite as sandy of a beaches at Cancun, but definitely uh, some smarter people around. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not going to call about the intelligence, but I will say, yeah, the sandy beaches were nice. The food was not as nice, and I paid the price for that, but we won't go deep into that. We'll save that for the, the Please don't. Yeah, stuff. please don't. Hey, let's dive into some week four college football storylines while we got you here. Um, look, I think maybe the prevailing threat, I, I don't see any week ever being boring in college football. I love it all. I'll take any excuse to watch it. But by all accounts, it was kind of a boring week, right? I mean, not a lot of top teams went down. There really weren't any upsets. But kind of going back to our, our preview show, Andrew, right, we, we kind of highlighted those top four or five teams that really looked untouchable coming into the season. And here we are in week three, Oklahoma barely got by the, the fighting Scott Frost in Nebraska. Uh, you know, Clemson looked awful against Georgia Tech, even though they won that game. Ohio State looked vulnerable. Who knows what that injury is with C.J. Stroud. And of course, Alabama, quote unquote, got exposed, even though they, they won in the swamp, which is one of the toughest places to play in the country. So say what you will about that. But for your standpoint, Andrew, who looks the most vulnerable as we kind of head into the middle of the season here? Oh, well, of those four, the most vulnerable has to be probably Ohio State because of the injuries and the fact that they've already lost, you know, to Oregon at home. And you know what? Tulsa made it a game this weekend. And Tulsa lost this year to an FCS opponent. And I know it's not always just as straightforward as I beat them, therefore I will beat any team they beat. But, you know, it has to be concerning. The game was at the horseshoe and Tulsa really went in there and almost made it interesting. You mentioned C.J. Stroud's injury. You know, I think we're looking at, at Ohio State probably still being – the favorite in the Big Ten, but Iowa and Penn State will definitely have something to say about it. Uh, Clemson, yeah, what a weird game. It was like 14 to 8 or 11 or something, and it was like <laughs> lightning delay. It was not great. I think it's become pretty clear that Clemson is definitely going to be in a year of transition. Now, for them, that means they'll be 11 and 1 and still win the ACC, but it's certainly a, a down step of where they're used to. And then, yeah, we're, we're talking about Alabama is not, you know, invulnerable because they beat a good Florida team, but they certainly look beatable. I mean, anytime you have a freshman quarterback, playing on the road like it invites opportunities for teams to get one on you especially a team like Dan Mullen's been around the block even though he hasn't really beaten Nick Saban but like you know I think Alabama proved this week they're still the favorite but they can be beat and I'm really interested in their matchup with Ole Miss I think that's going to be really fun Lane Kiffin clearly has some bad blood with Nick Saban and you know if there's anybody that knows how to beat Bama it's going to be him having been on that staff so yeah last week was kind of boring but I, I still think we learned a lot about the, the field as a whole yeah, I think so, too. And I, for my money, honestly, I, I think it's Oklahoma. Look, I, I have been pretty vocal about how I feel about Spencer Rattler. He doesn't do it for me. He's put up some big numbers, but Oklahoma, especially with that defense, I mean, they almost gave up that, that week one loss to Tulane, which would have been just insane. But 
look, the Big 12, we all know it's not really that strong of a conference, but I'm looking at Oklahoma's schedule. They're hosting West Virginia this weekend, trap game alert. They're at a, a rank, suddenly ranked Kansas State the next week, and then they've got the Red River shootout against Texas the following week. So I really do think this is a big three weeks for Oklahoma. Again, I don't think Spencer Rattler does it for me. That defense is going to have to step up, and really to this point, they haven't. I mean, yeah, they allowed 16 points to Nebraska, but – Nebraska is an awful, awful football team. So they really look pretty vulnerable there. But as far as, you know, let's just look ahead to this week four. There, you know, we got two key matchups, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Jack, Hone, Jack Cohn's homecoming, so to speak, even though it's, it's going to be in a neutral site. AM, Arkansas is the other one. Are there any other games that catch your eye outside of those two? No, and I actually think that Notre Dame, Wisconsin game might be a stinker. I, I think Notre Dame is bad. I know they're three and oh, and they're still ranked, but. You know, that first week where they almost got beat by Florida State, now we know Florida State's terrible. It's you know, terrible. And, then, and then Notre Dame almost <laughs> lost to Toledo. It's like, why are we not talking about that? Yes, they're 3-0, and but they're they're not really, like, playing good teams and, and, and destroying them. Um, I don't think that 3-0 and is going to last much longer. You know, Wisconsin, I think they're, they kind of have a boring style of football, which, you know, doesn't necessarily make them exciting. So I, I, we'll, we'll see. They're coming off a bye as well. I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of a more of a blowout than we expect. Um, I think the game, obviously, it's the only other ranked game is A&M Arkansas. I think Arkansas is low-key kind of a sneaky team in the SEC. It's just they're in the SEC West, so everyone's like, oh, well, they're going to be like the fifth best team. But I was watching their game against Texas a couple weeks ago, and they looked really good. And I know Texas, we can make fun of them all they want, but they blew out Texas. They dominated them. And I think that there was just some bad juju around the Arkansas program that's clearly gone away. And you know, it's still an SEC team that I bet you could beat 90% of teams in the country, and they've, they've looked pretty good. So I'm interested to see how they look against AM, a team that a lot of us, including us, picked to be potentially be a college football playoff team. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know if there's going to be any all time great games this weekend, but those are definitely two, especially them being ranked games to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I love it. Look, Sam Pittman, the head coach from Arkansas, he has completely changed the culture that was basically dead and buried for the last two decades. So, you know, woo, woo pig suey to them. That would be really, really fun to see them challenge in the SEC. I think Old Miss is another team that's very interesting to watch. That offense is absolutely electric. Um, and yeah, from, from a Notre Dame standpoint, be careful uh, uh, off of a, don't, nobody wants a piece of Paul Christ coming off a bye. So watch out there. That could be a huge blowout, even though I think Graham Mertz is probably not the answer there, but I wish we had still had Jack Cohn. But look, I think maybe the prevailing ideology here is there's going to be a lot of parody and a lot of controversy throughout the season, which is good for any fan base, right? That's what you want to see as a fan. But speaking of a little controversy, let's look over to USC. They obviously fired Clay Helton last week. They looked fantastic as soon as our boy Jackson Dart, what a name, came in. He took over for the injured Keaton Slovis. Now, Slovis was obviously highly touted, highly touted, part of the reason why JT Daniels transferred to Georgia in the first place. But do we officially have ourselves a QB controversy in L.A., Andrew? I mean, I guess. I just don't care. I'm more concerned about, like, what's going on with the coaching stuff. Is, like, Urban Meyer going to leave the Jaguars after two games? Yeah, we'll, we'll going to go we'll there. Urban. Don't worry about that. I mean, it's, it's just it's, – it's a clown show over there right now. You know, I was – like I said, I was in Palo Alto last week. I was there for the Stanford-USC game. I'm at, a, I'm at a restaurant. The game's on. All the Stanford people are like, what the hell? We're blowing these guys out? I can't even believe like, it. They, they, like, they were st stoked, but they were like, I don't – like, this is really bad for USC. And, of course, Clay Helton was fired two days later. So, you know, I feel like USC, we, we make fun of them all the time, and they give us nothing but fodder to keep doing so. And, you know, before Jackson Dart came in, they were down 14 nothing at Washington State. So, 
it could have been even worse. I just, I don't know. I don't know. What to, I like expected this from USC this year, but I didn't expect it to be like week three for this yeah. story to be happening. Oh, I think, I mean, I think many people, especially our executive producer, Seamus, uh, who's a huge diehard Trojan fan, probably wanted to see Clay Hilton gone by the middle of last year. I don't think anything was going to change this year, but certainly that's a school you want to look at off season wise, because, <laughs> okay, Seamus, he's texting me on the, on the side. I won't try 2017. Don't even, don't try me. Uh, I, I think the, the only thing I care about at USC is who, who that splashy hire is going to be, right? You, you mentioned every Meyer, but that's a school that needs a big time coach to be relevant again. It's kind of funny to see them sort of down and out a little bit, but look, let's, we got plenty of NFL on the way. I really want to dive into to last week's games. Look ahead. We've got Bismack Biombo coming up. You're not going to want to miss that interview. We'll be right back. All right, with us today is a 10-year veteran NBA big man. He was the seventh overall pick in the 2011 NBA draft. He's an incredible humanitarian founder of the Biombo Foundation. Make sure you check that out at BB Foundation DRC. He's truly one of the league's good guys. It's Bismack Biombo. Bismack, how are you? I'm good, man. How you guys doing? Good, man. Well, listen, we're very excited. We've been trying to get you on for a while now, and this is, uh, <laughs> this is awesome. So, look, I, I want to get ready. It. You, you do a lot of incredible philanthropic work back home in the DRC. I know you've said many times you're more than a basketball player. I think that's obviously true. You, you and your fellow countrymen, Dikembe Mutombo, you guys are viewed as heroes back there. Look, we know you've donated millions to various efforts during the pandemic. You built schools, hospitals, the works. But most recently, I know you helped give aid after the disastrous volcanic eruption in your homeland. I would just love for you mm. to tell us a little bit about how the recovery efforts are going and, and your involvement in that. Uh, so the recovery, uh, we, we the, thank first of all, thank you guys for having me. I really, really appreciate you guys. And I know all the back and forth, but I'm glad we got to make it happen. Hey, so uh, <laughs> uh, to everybody listening, we appreciate you guys. Uh, so the, the truth to be told is that I was so involved with the, you know, with the, the founders that we're doing for the volcano. Uh, and uh, the goal was obviously to continue to build homes uh, and we're gonna upload all this stuff up so people can see actually where their money went and where my money actually went as well. So I've always uh, believed in, you know, before I ask somebody to put a dollar into what I, my vision, I have to be able to put a dollar up my first, uh, uh, you know, first, then they can follow and then Another thing for me has always been, you know, before you ask somebody for a dollar, you got to make sure you spend your own. So I, you know, mm -hmm. I never want to be one of those guys that just, hey, man, you know, this is my idea. You guys should put your money in. No, no, no. This is my idea. I'm going to put my own money in. And you're welcome to jump on board, you know. So that is going great, you know. Um, uh, we've had a chance to uh, recover a lot of kids and put them back with their families. I think that has been very excited. And also start putting families in better conditions, uh, some family, more family and more, you know, are kind of regaining uh, their homes. You know, you go, uh, we, we're in the process and we're going through the process of, um, of building these homes for these families so they can go back to their homes because most of them are still in shelters and tents and stuff like that. So um, the more, you know, people we can continue to put back into, you know, their communities where they come from, I think it'll be helpful for the city and helpful for the country. Obviously the schools that have been destroyed uh, become a challenge. Uh, we continue to work on that, you know, reaching out to people that 
perhaps might have the same vision and idea as ours. Um, but overall, uh, that's kind of what we've been up to really is just pushing for those families to have a home again, you know, or at least a place they can call home and finding ways to actually invest into businesses that will be sustainable, uh, mostly agriculture, because back home we have a soil that's very rich. So we kind of focus on that. And then obviously when my, when my dad passed away, which was last mm -hmm. month, I kind of shift all the focus to, oh, when my dad got sick, he got sick back in July. So uh, back in June, actually got sick. So in July, things kind of got serious. And then, you know, in August, uh, early August, August 13, I believe it passed away. So, hmm. uh, so during that time, I had to shift most of my energy uh, to him because there's a man who uh, believed in me before the words could see who Bismack, you know, his or who Bismack was going to become. So, um, and in, in the ways to honor him, and obviously you got to do a lot of personal healing. So you step back a little bit, seeing life from a different perspective, you know, learn this way of living and, you know, trying to find a place or that perhaps that can generate some type of peace of mind. So overall, that's kind of what we've been up to as a foundation and and with, you know, this sort of new way of living that I'm adjusting to. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so yeah. sorry to hear about your father. Our condolences are with you. No. But, you know, all Thank the you. philanthropic things you're doing are just sound so incredible and awesome. And that's why we wanted to lead off with that question. But as we said, you know, you're, you're clearly more than a basketball player, but we do want to ask you a little bit about your playing career. And as yeah. I'm sure people know, you were with the Hornets last year. where You got to play mm -hmm. with one of the league's most exciting guys. Last mm -hmm. year's Rookie of the Year, LaMelo Ball. Um, yeah. Now, People can say what they want about LaMelo's kind of unconventional style, but the dude right. can just straight ball. You know, what has it been like, you know, to kind of play with a guy like that that is just so young but seems to have, you know, almost no limit to his potential? Oh, I think one is a great kid, man. I love the kids, you know. It's like my little brother. I love the kids. Um, I, you know, I think he, he knew his potential before anybody, and at least his dad and him, they knew. Uh, and everybody just got to see it. And obviously the road that he took was not the usual road to get to the NBA, but he made it on his own term and, you know, kind of building his own rules. But again, the guy can play, uh, works extremely hard, work extremely hard, just had a desire to win a basketball game. You know, uh, you know you'll find some of these kids, you know, they want, you know, they want to get numbers, you know, this kid just want to win, you know, and that's, that's exciting to see in a young guy like him. And more than anything is a hard worker, you know, uh, for, for a young guy like him that worked that hard, the sky's the limit, you know, with the talents that he has, you know, the environments and having uh, great coaches around, you know, great mentor his dad is there his brothers that have been in the league that can that he can always use his brother as a support and see the mistakes perhaps his brother make and being able to correct it so overall i think the kid's gonna be an amazing player it's just a matter of time obviously last year was able to show what he's capable of and i think in years to come uh, we are gonna witness you know or we are witnessing perhaps a legend in maker yeah, uh, 
I think that's probably spot on. And it's clear Bismack that you guys have a great relationship together. But look, I got to ask you because you mentioned his dad, LeVar. I think the prevailing mm. ideology of anybody who's maybe seen him on TV is he's a little intense. I think that's probably yeah. fair to say maybe a little bit weird. Uh, whatever you want to say about the guy. But as somebody who's had a chance to kind of talk to that family, be in front of that family, meet LeVar, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on LeVar? And what Man, he's I'll tell you the truth. I ain't never met LeVar and LeVar. You never met him? never challenged you to walk now, one time, you know what? I, uh, you know, when when you had a kid like that, you expect like his dad to be around to watch yeah. over him. He never came around once, right? Really? And that's just show how much one, how much trust he has in in his kids, and how much education and ideas he has implement, uh, implemented into his kids. You know, uh, you know, you ask about him. Uh, you see things about him, but I think to me, the best way to see him was through his kids, you know, uh, the value that his kids had, how respectful the kids was, how disciplined the kid was. That shows exactly, you know, how much and how well he was educated. So I don't, I don't need to meet the dad to be able to give the perspective on the kids like, you know, this is you know how that is now this is why the kids is this way i think you know uh you know you got to give him a lot of respect for what he has done with his kids because he goes you know like should he damn near have three kids in the nba <laughs> <laughs> and he's been talking about this for a while and everybody was sitting there and laughing at him you know my kids gonna be a superstar yet we we're going to witness this kid being an actual superstar you know <laughs> so some of the things that he has seen probably you know you know parents are visionary you know one would say that parents see something that you know we or at least other people cannot see you know uh, for some reason god used them to say things and see things certain way and speak things that now is is happening and i think you know, all the things that he has been saying about his kids, we're really going to witness it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in what the kid is going to be because the kid is just that good and he just focus, he work hard, and he stay on top of his stuff, you know. You, you don't got to chase him to get things done, you know. He wants to get things done, so that's fun. Yeah, exactly, and, you know, we, we speak about how young LaMelo was, but you kind of shared a similar, you know, introduction to the league as well, where you were a first round pick coming mm. to the league at 18. And, and now suddenly you find yourself kind of the mentor to these young guys. Can you kind of yeah. talk about what it's been like to, to see the roles flip and then to talk about, you know, which players were an influence on you early in your playing career? As well? uh, I think playing professional at an early age play a big role in, you know, making the transition to the NBA, uh, even for, for, for him, I think. But overall, for, for young guys, you know, I think, you know, when you come in a league at 18, you come in a league at 19, uh, you're still trying to figure out. You probably have $0 in your bank account. You know, now you're going to be receiving hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars coming to your bank account. So it's a whole different lifestyle you got to live. You know, like, it's not like you go to a restaurant, you got to look at the next guy to your left or to your right, who's going to pay the bill. So you were able to actually take care of your own bill, pay your own stuff. So I think 
one of the things uh, that, that I find fun is to be able to now observe these young guys. You know, you take them to eat somewhere, the conversation you have about their lives, and then you go back and you look at your life as a rookie or, you know, second year or coming into the league, trying to figure things out. You know, what will work? How can I build a relationship with a coach? Like, how can I? How, how can I build my brand? How can I do this? So now it become like, man, it's so crazy because when I was young, I, I used to worry about this much stuff. But now if you just focus on one thing and one thing only, the rest will take care of, of itself. So, you know, you have to focus on, on, on working hard and then, you know, playing as hard as you can. And then the rest will take care of itself. But obviously, you got to have the right people around. You know, when I came in the league, I actually didn't have my family with me. So Boris was actually uh, a guy. And my English was not as good, you know. So I had to start figuring out how can I better my English. And, then, and, and at the same time, the only guy really that I could talk to a lot and hang out with a lot was Boris. Because one, he wanted to help me transition from Europe into the NBA and then two it was speaking French so for me it was like perfect you know like this guy can actually lead me and he speaks French so mm -hmm. I'm I don't have to be so concerned about uh how is my accent and and then how how my how is my pronunciation you know how and then sometimes you know you get in the locker room you try to explain yourself in English people laugh like you see guys this is why I don't want to talk to you guys <laughs> and then and then over the course of time, as my English got better, I got more comfortable around people, then I become more of myself. But I think that first year was more like, where do I fit in? You know, how should I look at this? You know, which way should I go about it? And, and honestly, you know, Boris, Boris, you know, helped me a lot. He actually took me shopping once. Uh, and then, uh, so we went shopping and, you know, it's my rookie. I don't have a lot of money in my bank account. So this guy goes, yep. Yeah, yeah, just just pick stuff, man. We're shopping. So then I'm looking at him. I say, yeah, good. Who, who's going to pay for this? Say, just pick, man. And we are shopping. I say, yeah, I agree. But who's going to pay for this? Say, man, don't worry about it. Just pick. So in my mind, I'm picking very careful. I say, okay, I'll choose this. I'll choose that. And then uh, and then when it comes time to pay, I'm scratching my head like, oof, this going to hurt me. Why? And then... Boys look at me and say, hey, put it together. I say, wait, what do you mean put it together? You could have told me that at the beginning. I'll go buy more stuff, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like, yeah, go grab a few more stuff, but don't overdo it. That's so, incredible. you know, and then I hang out with him about every day. So, like, with these young guys, you know, that's somebody that did it for me. And the NBA, funny enough, the NBA become like a brotherhood, you know. Somebody did that for you. Now you got to take a rookie under you, talk to them, lead them. You know, whenever they call you for advice, be there for them and be real and be honest with them because honesty is not something that NBA players are used to. It. You know, we used to people tell us all this good stuff, but sure, I, I don't need anything from you. <laughs> you get paid, I get paid, we do our job. I'll tell you just as I see the reality and that's up to you to choose whether or not you want to accept it, you know? And, uh, and 
you know, uh, a lot of rookies now are more open-minded. They welcome constructive uh, criticism. I think that's what I'm more excited about the league as well. You know, they ask a lot more questions than before. They want to be involved, rather it's with the union, rather it's within things, businesses. They ask a lot of business uh, ideas. What can I invest in? What makes sense? What don't make sense? So it's almost like it's exciting to have a conversation with a rookie now versus how it was before because times has changed and we have access to so much information that you can just sit there and you can ask them to Google anything nowadays. It's almost like if you go to YouTube, you can literally educate yourself without going to school. <laughs> so, so, so for some of them, it's just fun. You know, it's, it's fun to see them, you know, evolving, to see them growing and, and them asking, you know, more and good questions. I think to me, that's very, very exciting. That definitely is. And look, Boris Diaw was, of course, the teammate you were referencing. He's another great guy in the NBA, also seemed to be a great personal shopper. So shout out to Boris. Yeah. But look, you talked about being a young guy, right? Coming into the league in that 20, 2011 draft class. That's arguably one of the greatest draft classes in the history of the NBA, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Kemba, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi, Clay Thompson, Kyrie. Look, I'm not going to ask you who you think maybe is the best player out of there, because I think that's kind of an unfair question. But mm -hmm. from your standpoint, who's the favorite who's a, who's your favorite guy to watch on the court out of that draft class that you came into uh i'll say kemba why kemba because uh why not because he's like my brother uh and become family because i got to see him closer uh you know as we grow as we evolve in a league i think you admire more the people you see closer you know, obviously, we I don't know what goes on behind, you know, the doors for the other guys. I don't know what they do. But as of Kemba, I got to see, you know, the late night you show up at the gym is in a gym, you know, or you, you know, you're in a gym late night and then it comes back in the gym. I think those to me are the things that you appreciate the most out of a guy. And then when you see when the light is on and you see the guy succeeding, you appreciate it the most, you know? So I've, I've you know, I, I think to me it will be Kemba. Obviously I admire all of them, you know, like, you know, we become friends with all of them just from competing and whether it's close, the ones that I'm close with or from just knowing each other from far away, but I admire all of them, you know, but Kemba is just somebody I got to see grow over the year closer to, you know, on top of, you know, being a brother in the family, you know, he has done uh, a tremendous uh, change in, uh, in just him being in Charlotte, how much he was able to give to the organization, what he has become over the course of the years. So um, I'm always going to be excited to watch all those guys, but, you know, Kemba is hey my guy. Hello. I love all of them, but I, I got to stick to Kemba. <laughs> Exactly. And hey, you, you talk about exciting. Now, as great as LaMelo was on the court last year, I would argue there might be a more exciting guy in the Hornets organization. And that's your guys' play-by-play -play call guy, Eric Collins, which I'm sure you've seen the highlights. He could make the most mundane. It's a technical shot, free throw, the most exciting play, yeah. the highlight of the year. And now I just got to ask, what is it like to see Eric get to call plays you're involved in or just get to see him in action at all? Because he clearly has, you know, now that LaMelo is kind of a highlight machine, he's become more of a national figure. I can't even lie to you. Like Eric, uh, last year, because of COVID, we probably 
saw him, if not once or twice, or I did. Uh, the rest of the time was just like, you know, as soon as the game is over, uh, you get home, and then you go to check the highlights, you hear his voice, and say, there goes Eric. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if there's, a, you know, if there is something that happened in the game, you come to the bench, you're like, oh, man, I wish we could hear the sound of Eric right now. So, uh, you know, I think it makes the game fun as well. Uh, although, you know, like there is exciting plays, but you need somebody that's also excited, you know, the, the, the love and uh, they are excited to do their job. And I think Eric, Eric was that, but it was just something that was missing that had to come along. And then comes Lamelo with fancy plays and, you know, uh, fancy passes. You got to be in shape because the kids got to run. So got to run faster than the kids. So it becomes just fun. But at the same time, you know, uh, Eric is, is just, you know, a guy that over the course of the year, getting to know him, you admire him and you want him to do good and succeed. And obviously it's, it's just fun to see that, you know, it's like the perfect timing where everything kind of combined. And now we can make any highlights just sounds fabulous. <laughs> all about, man. It should be, it's a game that should be fun at its core, and Eric makes it, makes it about as fun as it can possibly be. Well, exactly. We are almost out of time, which I absolutely hate. We've got like 40 questions on here that I want to ask you, but I'm oh, going to go with one that is one of yeah. my personal favorites. You've got probably one of the nicest lists of nicknames out there. I mean, Biz, The Master. Big Mac, The Business, Black Panther, and my personal favorite, La Pantera, which I'm assuming maybe came from your time in Spain. So I got a two-part yes. question for you. One, who gave you the La Pantera nickname and which one's your favorite? Uh, so La Pantera nickname came from, uh, from Spain. When, uh, when I got to Spain, uh, I was not supposed to play uh, in... Uh, I was supposed to play with a junior team. And then... Uh, I don't know. I was just, I never want to talk to people. Like I never want to go out. I never want to hang out. Like I'll, my life was just basketball. Uh, so my, uh, my agent looked at me one time and said, man, it looked like you really want to do something bad, but you're kind of like a good guy. So what do you mean by that? So it was like, yeah, well, you know, when it comes down to the game, people have these faces and you have, you just have a face that's different. So <laughs> I say, so well, what do you mean by that? Say, yeah, yeah, I got a nickname for you. Just just watch. I'll send you a picture. So then he sent me a picture of a Black Panther, you know, after a game. Mm. So I look at him. I say, hey, man, what is this? He say, yeah, yeah, your new nickname, La Pantera, you know. And then I say, oh, very funny, huh? He say, yeah, yeah, watch. I'll, I'll shift it left and right. So that's going to become your nickname. And then over the course of the years, uh, uh, over the course of a few months, not everybody, you know, you walk in the locker room. People call you La Pantera. You know, you it's game time and you're playing the game. Like fans in Europe, you know how crazy they are. They're chanting La Pantera. So then I would start like, so this man actually did a good marketing for this name. <laughs> and that's kind of how La Pantera become La Pantera, you know. Uh, uh, big business. Um, Drake started that uh, when I was in Toronto. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was one, uh, one game where we were just playing and then uh, he was uh, helping 
a guy uh, and then he was talking about the game and then something happened again and and then uh, it, it was talking about something about business and then it was like yo big business whatever all this other stuff he had it so then the name stick and it was like big business i was like man i i love business i kind of like the big business name too so so which one is my favorite i'll probably say la pantera and big business just because the idea of the business behind it i like i don't know how big of a business but i do some businesses but uh yeah so those, are my those two would be mine <laughs> well, look man this was an absolute pleasure i know we've been trying to get you on for a while this was as fun as i could have imagined probably even more so but bismack i want to thank you again for your time also for the folks out there listening check out his foundation at bb foundation drc on instagram you can go there there's a link to where you can donate everybody knows that if you're going to put in a dollar bismack's going to put one in too he's a man of his word he's big business Man, I appreciate you guys. God That's bless. A lot of fun, yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Yeah, thank you. All right, our thanks to Bismack Biombo. That was an incredible conversation. Once again, check out the, his Instagram for his foundation at BB Foundation DRC. There's a link there where you can go donate. Do it if you even if it's a dollar, five dollars. You're going to be helping out a great cause and a great guy, and you know Bismack's going to be matching that contribution. So get there, rush there. I don't care how you get there, just do it. But Andrew, let's dive into some NFL because we got a lot to get to. Week two storylines. I mean, let, we got to start off with Chiefs Ravens, right? I don't know what it is with the Ravens, but they might be must see TV as if they weren't already with Lamar Jackson. But Lamar finally gets the Chiefs monkey off their back. Uh, I mean, this is a huge, huge, huge game. It, are we looking at maybe, you know, sort of a changing of the guard? Not necessarily, okay, is Lamar now the guy? But to be able to get that W, are the Ravens kind of, with all the injuries that they have, I mean, are we looking at potential AFC championship game where the Ravens maybe come in sort of, you know, feeling that swagger, feeling that confidence, like they can take down anybody? Well, I feel like the NFL would love that. I mean, these are probably yeah. the two most exciting quarterbacks in the AFC. And, hey, Seems anytime the Ravens are on primetime TV, Gotta watch. there are no rules. I mean, last year Lamar was almost pooping his pants. It's <laughs> there's just anytime they're on primetime, you know some weird stuff's gonna happen. And you know what? Any NFL fans probably stoked for it. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of kind of just leveling the playing field, it was like definitely the, the biggest knock on Lamar was his inability to win playoff games and the fact that he's supposed to be up there with Mahomes but never beat him. Um, and, and obviously this game was looking like it was going to be the same old, same old, whereas the Chiefs and that comeback at the end was pretty awesome. And I think it, it really saved the Ravens season, which is like kind of weird to say in week two. But considering how week one went where they basically should have won and then kind of collapsed and then all the injury stuff before the season started, I think if they start 0-2, we could be looking at, hey, this is just they're just snake bitten this year. This isn't their year for whatever reason. But they held their held high, they held their head high and continue now they're one and one. And I think. No one is writing them off as a potential AFC contender. Yeah, absolutely. Look, th this was a huge, huge game for the Ravens. You can't undersell that. With all the injuries they had coming in, I mean, it looked like one of those snake-bitten years that you're just going to talk about, all right, we'll get them next year, right? We're going to get healthy. Uh, this was a huge win for them. I don't know if it necessarily saved their season, but it certainly gave them a, a, a level of confidence they probably didn't have before. The only thing I will say is Lamar Jackson needs to not somersault in the end zone anymore because if I'm seeing my franchise guy somersault in the end zone when nobody's touching him and land on his backside, that's the last thing in the world I want to see. So maybe stop that, Lamar. We love you. You're flashy enough. You don't have to do that. But hey, speaking of the best teams in the AFC by record, and I hate, hate doing this for you, Andrew, but the only two undefeated teams in the AFC 
the Denver Broncos and the Oakland Raiders. Uh, I hesitate to even throw a question to you right now, Andrew, but I mean, certainly Teddy Bridgewater looked to be the guy. It seems like yeah, certainly, I mean, I don't know if you caught that uh, last week when uh, Von Miller was talking to Teddy Bridgewater. He's like, oh man, we hadn't seen that in a long time, which is a huge indictment on Drew, Drew Locke. Uh, what do you like about what you've seen so far from your boys? I mean, what have I been saying since the season started? The 20-0 and 0 train can't yeah. be stopped. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, uh, all jokes aside, they've looked good, and I, I'm cautiously optimistic. But, again, they beat the Giants, and they beat the Jaguars, and they play the Jets this week. It's basically a, a preseason 2.0. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bemoan winning because, hey, we haven't done a whole lot of that the last couple of years. But I think the Raiders have been considerably more impressive considering they beat Baltimore, who clearly is a contending team, which we just talked about. And you going into Pittsburgh is never easy, even if Big Ben can't throw it more than like three feet. So, you know, I think that's a much more impressive 2-0 start. I think the one thing is that we've seen this from the Raiders before, where they've come out and they look like a contending team. You know, we're like, oh, John Gruden's back. All that money's worth it. And they end up missing the playoffs. So I, I think we kind of look at both teams and go, oh, they're in first place. The Chiefs aren't. But it's like the Chiefs are one point away from being 2-0. and And we, we have 15 more games left to go. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to, you know, do the 20 and 0 train thing as long as I can. But we all know that that's probably not going to last. I'm just going to, like I said, be cautiously optimistic, but no, Hey, the Broncos are not a Super Bowl contender by any means. Well, that's, that's fair of you to say. And you know, I want you to keep that train going as long as possible because I cannot wait to derail it once, once it finally goes off the rails. But yeah, I, I agree. I think, Vegas has been more impressive. I think their defense, even if you're looking at the stats, it, it's not a very impressive defense, but it's played better in big spots. Um, and that's something to watch. I mean, certainly Vegas coming home this, this weekend, uh, they got a chance to play the fighting Jacoby Brissett's. Um, so that will be interesting. And I mean, that's a chance to go three and Oh two where the, the schedule is helping you. Certainly what, what Vegas is giving them. I mean, I, I certainly thought they were kind of going to miss that sort of vibe of the black hole they had in the Oakland Coliseum, even though that, Stadium was absolutely disgusting, but (laughs) I think a huge, huge home field advantage. So if they can win, you know, go six and two at home and maybe when I guess, I mean, I don't know, seven and two, thanks for the 17 games, got a four and four on the road. I got a chance to make some noise, but let's hop over to the NFC. Another two and O team, my 49ers, but they are in an absolute bloodbath of a division. The NFC West is going to, it's like the SEC. I mean, it's just, you just hope it'll beat each other up enough and before the playoffs that teams are actually healthy. I mean, the, the backfield in the 49ers is already shot, as is tradition. But what is sort of your make of the NFC? Maybe who's that top one or two team? I mean, do we, do we see the NFC West getting three, four teams in? I think you're going to get at least three. And honestly, if they weren't having to play each other twice a year, I would put money that those are four of the seven best teams in the NFC. I agree. Um, you know, but – they're going to cannibalize each other. If they each go just three and three in their division, I mean, that's three losses each right there. And, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, Arizona is the one team that I would maybe look at and go, Hey, they're two and O, but you know, they, they should have lost this week. Vikings missed a 37 yard field goal. Um, I don't trust kind of cliff, a cliff Kingsbury team. You know, he didn't have a winning record in college. So I don't know if I really trust him to have winning records in the NFL, but you know, I think San Francisco is a team that's two years removed from the Super Bowl. The Rams are three years removed from the Super Bowl with the best quarterback they've had under Sean McVay. The Seahawks have Russell Wilson. I mean, yeah, it's, it's nasty. I mean, the AFC West, too, you know, was what, they're six and two collectively. And 
you could be looking at a scenario where they each would have been eight. No, I mean, the, the West, the Western United States is running the NFL right now for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the AFC West and you got two, two and O teams in there almost had three, two and O teams, but the chargers succeeded in outchargering the Cowboys and gave them a gift uh, there at the end. So, I, I mean, I hope we're not seeing this same old charger team where they've got all the talent in the world and they just keep find ways to lose games, but let's look ahead to week three. Cause that's what everybody wants to talk about the Thursday night matchup. The hot, firing Carolina Panthers in that nasty defense at the Houston Texans who, look, say what you want about Houston, but the signings that they made, I think they had like their final roster, there was 31 guys out of the 53 who weren't on that roster last year. And it's a bunch of veterans. It's a bunch of guys like they're not, they're not eyes wide shut rookies who are in there for the first time going to get their nose bloody. These are dudes who've played in games. So, I mean, is Houston as bad as everybody says they are? Or is, is this a team that, I'm not going to say they're going to go to the playoffs or challenge for the division, but they might not be that bad. No, but the problem is they just lost Tyrod Taylor, who I think really does limit them when you're throwing in Davis Mills. God. If they, if they, I mean, if they had Tyrod on Sunday, they might have beaten the Browns. And we know how bad the AFC South is. I mean, all jokes aside, can none of those teams make the playoffs? It's unfair that the AFC South gets a team to go to the playoffs. Like, the, none of those teams in, in any way look to me like a true contender. It's just going to be a waste of a wild card game. I don't know, but. Point being, I think Carolina looks really good. I, yeah. I, I know the Saints were missing like seven coaches last week, but they dominated that team. And as we saw the Saints do week one, they dominated the Packers. So, you know, the Saints are not a bad team. And so Sam Darnold looks like he has renewed life. The Panthers' defense is fast, which I think was always a thing that we're holding them back. We weren't sure what their defense was going to look like. We knew they had good offensive players. They had, you know, Joe, Joe Brady, a good offensive coordinator. Matt Rule's an offensive coach but we didn't know what the defense was going to look like. And now that we know that they're athletic, they're fast. I think Carolina isn't going to win that division because Tampa Bay is there, but they could definitely compete for a wild card spot. No problem. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I remember last year the Panthers defense was getting shredded week over week. And yeah, I don't think Sam Darnold is the savior, but that's a lot of talent on that offense. You know, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, um, I'm going to forget his name. Who's the kid from LSU? DJ Moore. DJ Moore. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, if that defense can really hold up, they're going to have to carry that team again. Yeah, they're in the division with the Bucs, but that's a that's a playoff looking team based off what we saw. I mean, you got Terrence Marshall out there, too. Um, but let's let's move over to another team that's that we were talking one of the big games, probably the biggest game of the week, Tampa Bay at the Rams. I mean, are these I'm not going to say are these the two best teams in the NFC? I think it's too early. I think everybody I mean, you picked them. You picked the Rams as your sneaky Super Bowl pick uh, when we did our predictions the other week. But I mean, what do you see coming out of this game? Is this more, is this a bigger game for LA at home? It's gotta be right. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, like we just said with the NFC West being such a gauntlet, I think you have to win like Tampa Bay could probably lose a handful of games this year and they'll still, you know, be a top two seed. They'll still be clearly the, the division winner during the NFC West. You cannot afford to lose games. Like, and I know that's like such a simple thing to say, Oh, you can't lose games and be good at football. It's a Trent Dilfer quote right there. But considering like the Rams, the Rams are playing, you know, I guess the second place schedule and the Tampa Bay team is the team that's going to be the hardest because like Carolina is getting to play a different or they're sorry. The Cardinals are getting to play the Panthers or the Falcons, whereas, you know, the Rams are having to play Tampa Bay. Like that's just it, it, it adds some levity to the schedule that you need to take advantage of. And I, I you know, it's the first time Tom Brady's ever played in Los Angeles considering how crazy his career has been. That's an absurd stat. So I think this is definitely the game that we've all been circling for week three. And it's for good reason. 
Yeah, and probably not even the most important game on, on Brady's schedule because he's got a game in Foxborough coming up, which will be interesting. But yeah, t- Tom in in Hollywood, it just makes sense. It's where he belongs. And I, I do think Tampa, Tampa Bay goes on the road. Daryl Henderson, he's got that rib cartilage injury. So I don't know what's going to happen with the running game there. Matt Stafford's going to have to carry the team. So I think we're going to learn a lot about the Matt Stafford experiment there. Uh, that'll be interesting. But let's move over to your boy, the AFC West. I'm not going to say your boys, but we got Chargers Chiefs. We talked about the Chargers out charging uh, the Cowboys, the Chiefs coming off that loss. I mean, for my money, these are the two best teams in the AFC West, maybe the two best teams in the AFC. I mean, how big of a game? Can you quantify how big of a game this is for Justin Herbert and the Chargers to prove that they're a potential contender? Uh, I don't know if I can quantify it, but yeah, if they go beat the Chiefs this week in Arrowhead, and I think all these like, you know, preseason predictions of the Chargers being a legit contender. Are, are validated but now if they lose I know one and two is not something you can't get out of but we're, we're talking about a, a situation where if Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't get hurt week one Chargers are 0-3 you know like which would be just such a part of the Charger narrative that we all know so well that they have all the talent in the world and no fan base but then they just are you know lose games no matter who's a quarterback no matter who's coaching um, I just don't see the Chiefs losing two games in a row um, that would also be kind of nuts to see them one and two. So, yeah, I think one way or the other, I don't think we expected these teams to be one on one going into this game. And clearly whoever wins is going to have a lot of momentum and kind of be right back on track of where they're expected to be. And whoever loses is going to have a bit of an uphill climb, especially considering that, hey, oh, Vegas and Denver aren't going to be the, the, door, the floor mats they've been the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. This is big. I mean, this is, you're going to have a leg up in the division if, if you can win this game, especially um, let's look at the Sunday nighter green Bay at San Francisco. Uh, green Bay got the cure all in the lions last week. I don't think that really means anything that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are back. I love that Aaron Rodgers just likes to, as soon as he gets a W he's like, Oh, everybody's been talking too much shit. At least it'll shut him up for a week. Look, I think those haters are going to be back out in full force after the Sunday nighter at San Francisco. Yes. The backfield is in absolute peril. We signed like, Three or four, it's like in Madden where you just go the free agent wire and you just sign everybody. You turn off the salary cap, just sign everybody that you possibly can. I still think San Francisco at home, first home game of the this, this season, they're wearing those vintage throwbacks, the red and the white, the Steve Young era. Uh, they're going to look absolutely beautiful. The animosity, of course, between Shanahan and LaFleur, which they used to be buddies. And now, I mean, because we've been just beating the snot out of Green Bay the last couple of years. Uh, I think this game is this is going to be a really, really fun one. And I think Green Bay is in for yet another wake up call. I don't think it'll be as bad as it was week one against the Saints, but I think they're going to get handled and handled well. Yeah, I don't understand. They beat the Lions <laughs> and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't like yeah. go blow them out. I know the score was, was a wide margin at the end. That's just because Jared Goff kept just dropping footballs in the rain. And I mean, I don't really look at the Packers and go, oh, wow, they really they've disproved all the thoughts we had about them after week one. I think the week one performance was more indicative of their season thus far than the week two was. And yeah, I think San Francisco is a team that we all know is, is a top five NFC team. And we all know green Bay has, has been less than successful playing them the last couple of years. I'll just put it that way. So I think I will say this, if green Bay does come out and beat them, then I think we are clearly back on the green Bay as a contenders team. And if they get, you know, run out of town, then I think we all kind of know that week one may not have been a gimmick. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's look at the Monday night. And this is a couple of teams that I think would say surprising better than expected. I mean, I picked Philly as my, my pick for from last to for worst to first. Uh, they look pretty good. I mean, that was they played the Niners close at home. They obviously blew out Atlanta, who we know is not very good. Um, so you, 
who do you like in this game? I mean, Dallas, certainly they, they played Tom Brady and the Bucks as close as you possibly can. They got lucky against the Chargers. But, I mean, this game, I think, especially with Fitzpatrick out, as you mentioned, in Washington, this is a game This – I think this winner of this game is going to win the NFC East. And I know it's week three. It's way too early, but it really feels that way, especially with Philly being in Dallas. If Philly wins this game, they've got a leg up in the division, and I think they're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, no, at the beginning of the year, I thought both of these teams were going to stink. Like, I thought they were both going to be really bad, like they were last year. And they both have been surprisingly very good. Um, I, I think Dallas, you know, is literally a, a play away from being 2-0 and with the win over the Buccaneers and at the Chargers. And Philly's played really well. I think Jalen Hurts has, has quieted down a lot of the critics out there about him. And, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as silly as Nick Sirianni was during some of his press conferences during the year, I think some of his like jokes about competitiveness and stuff were genuine. He really is like a guy that wanted to come in and make that team competitive. And so I think at the beginning of the year, we were looking at this week three Monday night matchup and wanted to gag because it was so nasty, but now I'm actually kind of intrigued by it. I like the, I like the Cowboys. I think Dak Prescott is really proven to be a top 10 quarterback. That's worth all the money that they had to pay him. And, you know, he, clearly he was the reason that Dallas fell off the map so hard last year. And no matter how bad Mike McCarthy is as a head coach, I still like Dallas in this game. Yeah. Hey, Dak is back. I mean, I, I think he probably made a case with what happened last year and what he's done so far and what they were doing before he got hurt last year. He's probably one of the most, if not the most important player to a team in the entire league. Uh, so that'll be interesting. I mean, yeah, like you said, what we say what you want about Mike McCarthy, but Dak is the engine that runs that offense. And so we'll see. Uh, I'll take Philly, though. I like Philly on the road. I think Jalen Hurts has really kind of come on and that defense is, is legit. But let's talk one more game. I want to scale back. We've got India, Tennessee, the battle for AFC South supremacy. We already know how you feel about Tennessee. They were my sleeper pick to win it all um, just because I wanted to pick somebody outside of the Chiefs or the Ravens. But uh, look, I don't know what happened with Tennessee, but that defense looks about as bad as I can remember any defense looking for two weeks. I mean, they got gashed by Seattle. They got absolutely crushed in week one by Kyler Murray and, and the Cardinals. I mean, what is it, in your opinion, Andrew, that, that can take a team from one year to another? Yeah, there's a lot of attrition. There's a lot of guys that, that don't return to teams with free agency. But Tennessee looks absolutely nothing like that team that got everybody excited last year. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, if I remember correctly, their defense wasn't great last year. And I think they, in attempts to try to fix it, signed a bunch of older players and probably have kind of leveled off in terms of their capabilities, their athleticism. Um, I think the big thing, too, is just losing Arthur Smith as your O.C., I mean, I know Derrick Henry had a bounce back game last week, but I just don't think that offense is clicking on all cylinders. A.J. Brown had a bunch of drops, which really hurt my fantasy team. So I'm personally victimized by their lack of a, you know, ability to catch a football. But like I said, do either of these teams look like a top seven team in the AFC? They don't. When your quarterback sprains both of his ankles yeah. like Carson Wentz did, you're not, you're not a playoff team. I'm sorry. I don't how know is how that possible? that's possible. Like, like we like Carson Wentz has to be one of the few players that gets the adequate amount of shit talked about him because like he deserves all of it. Like yeah, he's not one of those players where we're super mean. Like I know he was the Philly quarterback and you're like, Oh, Philly fans are ruthless. It's like, I don't know. I think this guy just does a lot of weird stuff that deserves maybe criticism. He's bad. And he's also apparently built out of a pair of toothpicks. Like the guy just breaks everywhere. You just drop him on the floor and he goes into a million pieces. It's like one of my wife's vases or something. <laughs> but Andrew all right look it's going to be an awesome week in the NFL as it usually is uh but let's go to our dudes and duds of the week to wrap this thing up who's your dud of the week my man oh man um this is a guy that I think could have been the dud for like the last 
two months, and that's just Ben Simmons. I mean, to be honest, is there a more dislikable player in the NBA than Ben Simmons, who is just such a prima donna, such a baby? And then you hear all these quotes where he refuses to acknowledge that, like it's his fault that Philadelphia can't trade him to like his preferred destination list. And he has such a like, it's like, I want to go play in California. Okay, we'll send you to the Kings. <laughs> oh, no, 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 not the Kings. Like, who does this guy think he is? He's done nothing. He had literally the worst statistical playoff performance ever this year. And he's out here acting like he's Michael Jordan and deserves like all the treatment in the world. Clutch Sports has gotten a little bit too much power and I, I think it's going to their head a little bit. And you know what? I will say this. They're, they're playing with the one GM right now, Daryl Morey, who's not going to bend into their will. And I think this is just going to get uglier and uglier. And Ben Simmons is going to keep releasing videos of him shooting threes on Instagram, even though he, like, couldn't shoot an NBA game for whatever reason. So, I don't know. Go date your Kardashians. I, I think I, this is the first time in, in history I don't think the Philly fans are overreacting to how much disdain they have for a player. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's a microcosm of what the league has become. It's become a star league that guys like Anthony Davis, if you don't want to play where you are, you force your way out. But guess what? Ben Simmons is not Anthony Davis. And like you said, Daryl Morey is the ultimate FU guy. So that's why I think Ben Simmons is probably going to end up with the Timberwolves and his career just going to kind of fizzle from there. But look, this is not my dude of the week, my dud of the week, but I want to add to that. Why the hell is Joe Lacob getting fired 50K for basically saying that Simmons might not be a fit for the for the Warriors when he was specifically asked that question? I don't get these tampering rules. Obviously, I guess you can't say anything about anything. You just abstain. But that's probably the stupidest thing I've heard is a guy saying, an owner saying, I don't know if that guy would be a fit. And now you get fined 50K. That makes absolutely no sense. So the NBA is a tertiary dud to the Ben Simmons dud. But my dud, it's got to be Urban Meyer. And <laughs> look, Urban... I credit him for coming back, trying to take over this team in Jacksonville. It was it was a tough, tough situation already, but they look like probably one of, if not the worst team. They're going to have the number one pick again. I mean, it just looks bad. But Urban Meyer, he got a lot of flack this week for saying basically every game is like playing Bama every week. Uh, yeah, you think? that's ba You're basically playing every best player from every college team over the last five to ten years, including probably eight to 12 Bama players that everybody's got. So, Urban, wake up. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really hard. You're going to wake up in a couple weeks. You're going to be 0-6, 0-7. Urban's going to be on a flight, on his way to L.A. to coach USC by Halloween. So Urban Meyer's the dud of the week for me. Who's your dude, Andrew? Oh, my dude is the Portland State head coach, Bruce Barnum, who instantly might be in contention for dude of the year when he covered the $14,000 bar tab at the Portland State home opener this week against Western Oregon. He went out and said, hey, I will buy all the beers for all the Portland State fans who come out to support our team. And he did it, $14,000. And you know what? I don't live anywhere close to Portland, but I'm, I might make my way up for a few Portland State games if this continues. Yeah, if he's, gonna, if he's buying, I'm flying. I'll tell you that much right now. My only thought to that is, yeah, that's pretty freaking awesome. But, I mean, how much does a Portland State head coach actually make? Like maybe yeah. 15, 20K? So that, dude, that dude's wife is probably like, uh, what the hell are you doing? Well, now we can't send the kids to school or buy them Cheerios. So he's a dude of the week. But, hey, man, uh, keep that pocketbook nice and close to your chest. But – you know, I'd, I'd love to be a part of that that uh, that atmosphere there and get some free beers at the beer garden. Look, my dude of the week, and follow me here, it's Angel Hernandez. Everybody knows Angel Hernandez. Him and Joe West, basically the two lightning rods of the umpire world in Major League Baseball. But Angel Hernandez missed 27 calls in the Tigers-White Sox game on Tuesday night. I mean, 
he's my dude of the week because the absolute commitment to being that bad at your job and also being able to sue your employer and still have a job. Maybe I should make the dude of the week, the, the empire's union, because they're doing a hell of a job keeping that guy on board. Uh, look, I'm not typically for that auto umpire movement, you know, bring, just get rid of the umpires, but Angel Hernandez is making a huge, huge push to put that at warp speed and just get robot, robots behind the plate at all times. So kudos to you, Angel Hernandez. You are as bad as your job as anybody's ever been, and you still work every single night. So kudos to you. All right, we are out of time. It's the Walk-Ons Podcast, Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. I'm Ryan Rees. With me, as always, Andrew Schuster. Another special shout-out to Bismack Biombo. Great guy doing great things over there in the DRC. We are out. The walk on.